Just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and guests and in no way represent the state of Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Historical Society, or the Oklahoma State Historic Preservation Office. Hey everybody, it's Editor Jack from the Future here. I just wanted to let you know that in this episode there is talk about fire and skin grafts and uh, medical procedures. So if that's something that um, bothers you, um, this may be an episode for you to skip, although there isn't a whole lot of talk about that. Welcome to the Musings of an ADD Mind podcast. This is your host, Jack. And if you've listened for any length of time, you know that I am absolutely 100% riddled with ADHD and ADD. I have some some guests that I feel have some pretty great information to pass along to everybody, and that is Amber and Rachel, who are the girls with graphs. They work for the Phoenix Society of Burn Survivors, and they are here to let everybody know what their organization does, what burn survivors sort of go through. Life is slightly different afterwards, to say the least. And so we are uh, going to talk about that stuff. So I probably should have had you guys rock, paper, scissors to see who could introduce yourself <laughs> first. But whichever one of you want to go ahead, introduce yourself, go ahead. Yeah, I can go ahead and kick us off. So this is, I am Rachel Kudlak. Um, I am one half of Girls with Graphs. Um, and we are so appreciative to for you having us on the podcast today. Um, but yeah, just to give a little background about myself, um, I was burned at the age of three years old. Um, I was burned in a house fire. I was at my babysitter's house and a fan fell over and kept running and I was trapped in a playpen, um, and then suffered third, second and third degree burns on over 30% of my body. So what's really Awesome, in my opinion, about mine, Amber's story, which you'll hear more about her in a second, is I was burned as a child. Um, so a child burn survivor growing up, you know, I'm sure we'll dive into more of those details, but um, just a different perspective from Amber. So I'll let her share a little bit about her journey. Okay. Hi there. I'm Amber Wilcox. I was burned in April of 2020. Uh, so not too long ago, um, I was in my kitchen and uh, was making some um, hot caramel and uh, poured it into a glass baking dish when the dish exploded on my legs and both hands. Um, I burned about 20% of my body, primarily from the waist down. My hands took most of the second degree burns while my legs have most of the skin grafts. Uh, but yeah, Rachel and I uh, kind of came together because we were both burn survivors and um, knew we had those different perspectives. So Girls with Graphs came from it because we both can relate. We both have skin grafts um, and have learned a little bit uh, about one another's journey from that. Okay. All right. And uh, just real quick, uh, M, uh, my daughter, she was uh, making candles at the stove and uh, the wax caught fire. She thought to herself, this is like a grease fire. I got to put a lid on it. So she covered it. She thought it was smothered. And she said, I'm going to go throw this out in the newly snowed snow. So she grabbed the pot, she turned around, the pot exploded like a school volcano experiment, and that's what caught her uh, arm and her leg on fire. She stopped, dropped, and rolled, but apparently porcelain tile does not work when you stop, drop, and roll. So then she got up and ran and dove in the snow, put herself out, and then she had uh, third-degree burns on her arm and her thigh. I have discovered that people that have gone through that are, quite honestly, the biggest badasses that I have ever <laughs> encountered. And I bow down to anyone that has done that uh, because I would probably be the biggest baby in the history of the mm -hmm. world if that happened to me. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's being a survivor and just going, um, you know, through that journey and still going through that journey today. It's definitely something that, you know, most people don't even think about or, you know, you don't recognize or realize the burn survivor community is here until you know someone or you are someone who's in the community. So um, it's definitely a lifelong journey, but, you know, that's why, you know, we love 
Phoenix Society um, and, you know, just our community in general, because once you're once you're in our community, you're stuck with us and we're big, big family for sure. Yeah, that that's definitely true. Em is still quite not ready to like do peer to peer support yet, but I'm not going to try to force her. I mean, she is an adult, so um, I yeah, do. I have mean, one, not everybody uh, is. <laughs> not yeah. everyone's ready. Right. So, yeah. like. I was kind of thrust into it myself, but not everyone wants to talk to someone else about what it's like to be burnt. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, I do have one question for you though, Amber, because you're you, the way your, your accident happened in Emily is somewhat similar. Have you gotten to the point where you can like cook and use the stove and stuff, or is that still something that you're trying to overcome since it's been real recent? Um, I think it took some time, right? So um, I had to consciously force myself to do it for probably about two weeks after I was home. I couldn't be in the kitchen for quite, you know, just mm-hmm. didn't want to stand in there. My husband and I actually remodeled our entire kitchen about six months, six to eight months after. So I didn't want to look at the kitchen as it stood anymore and was kind of over it, right? Um, <clears throat> the fact that we were able to remodel it kind of gave me that fresh perspective. So I didn't feel like I was in the place where I had been burned anymore. That helped. I think, you know, going to the place of your incident is definitely a healing process and something that I wasn't getting over quickly. Um, I still get triggered by little things, right. But talking myself through, um, especially in the kitchen being safe. Um, my husband and I have really turned our lives around with he knows that like if something's sizzling and it's a brown liquid, sometimes I just can't transfer the pan or move it. Um, right. But we've made strides. I mean, I, do I still cook? Absolutely. I love cooking, but just being very conscious about cooking, you know, and, and cooking with glass specifically um, because my incident was related to glass. There's just no glass anywhere in the kitchen anymore for, for that reason. <laughs> so it takes time. Yeah. Uh, but yes, yeah. I do still cook, um, but it wasn't an easy it wasn't an easy process. And anyone that's had that incident still, I know we talk about this a lot in support of like, can you go back to to doing that? Um, I think you can, but it took me a long time to feel comfortable by myself in there again. I I completely understand and can see where that would, would be an issue. So uh, let me move on though, because I do have um, some questions for you, for you guys. Um, so the first one's kind of a three-part question. So is there any sort of charity or a fund where if somebody is in the the burn unit, because, you know, people can be up there for three, four, five, six, even up to a year sometimes, that somebody can get assistance to like maybe pay rent or mortgage? Because I can't think of anything that would be more horrible than coming out of the unit to -hmm. find out that you were evicted or, you know, your house foreclosed. And so that was just something that I just wanted to know about. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, financial concerns are a top concern of survivors when in the hospital and, you know, once they get released, um, like you said, uh, if you lose your job because of the accident or you're for an extended period of time, um, it, that just adds on top of the emotional and mental recovery that you're already going through. So, I mean, there's no clear one answer I can give, um, you know, working with hospitals because of, what tends to happen is those local foundations come into play here. So it's not, you know, one organization across the country that can do this, but working with those, your hospital team, you know, for me as a child survivor, I actually went to Shriners Hospital in Boston. So they, um, they provided a lot of funding, which really helped my family. And obviously that's a four children and a little bit different than an adult, but I would just suggest, you know, getting connected with that hospital team, you know, reaching out to Phoenix Society. Maybe it's a Phoenix SOAR hospital that we can, you know, try our best to assist however possible. I was going to add to that. There are a lot of foundations, right? Like local foundations that you can reach out to. Um, But I know with Phoenix Society as like that central kind of knowledge base, right? Being able to connect you with the best resources in your area I would say that's something that the Phoenix Society can definitely do if if you run into those situations um, and are unsure of, you know, how to help so or how to get help. That would be my first recommendation, right? The hospital or Phoenix Society and say, hey, are you able to connect me with a resource that I could use? Okay, thank you. And that also kind of leads to my second question, because it's related is I'm assuming then it would be sort of the same thing local. Perhaps someone could reach out to you guys because. The family members, if you're staying in a hotel, 
that can quickly add up. So once again, is there some sort of mm -hmm. just reach out to you guys and maybe you can figure out some sort of uh, help or something that someone could perhaps uh, reach out to? Yeah, again, it's um, it's going to be a lot more local support in those yeah. situations. So to reach out and kind of see what resources are available. Again, you know, thinking about what Shriners at my experience, they did cover um, hotel costs for my family. I don't know if that's still the case. It's been years since I've right. um, been at Shriners. But again, it's kind of all local um, and we're we want to help as much as possible, get you connected to those resources. Um, so either reach out to us, your hospital staff. And on the flip side too, if someone is listening, maybe their organization can provide these types of resources, let us know because we want to share that information um, with you know our community who's who's contacting us. Right, right. I So I had an idea. I was like, because I was talking to my wife about some sort of help. And I thought, you know, there's actually a model that already exists for this. It's the Ronald McDonald house, but we need like a version of that for the family that. of burn survivors. Yeah. And I have no idea how one could go about starting a Ronald McDonald type situation for that. But, um, and I don't know if the Ronald McDonald house just supports, um, cancer patients. I think it does go beyond, right. Just that, that those limitations, um, I've had family members for other reasons that were able to. So that may be another option as well as to to reach out and see if that they can provide that kind of support. Okay. All right. I I had to get that out of the way first because I'm liable to forget things. <laughs> so I, I had to start off with that. Um, but could uh, you guys just real quick go into all of the things that uh, the Phoenix Society for Burn Survivor does? And then um, I know that the World Burn Congress is coming up and then maybe touch on what that exactly is as well. Yeah, I mean, there is a bundle of offerings that Phoenix Society has. Um, so we can at least cover, you know, some of the most sought out resources that we provide. You know, first is just our information and referral that, you know, we don't talk about it enough. That's kind of what we were just discussing. Someone reaching out, maybe they're still in the hospital, maybe they're a loved one who is just looking for what's next, what resources are available, whether that's financial, legal, peer support, just, you know, we get so many emails and calls every single day. So that's a huge part of what we do is just Get, taking in those questions and helping our community get connected. Um, and Phoenix Soar is another big program of ours. So that's a hospital-based program, and it's kind of what Phoenix Society was founded on. Um, so our founder, Alan Breslaw, he recognized the need for peer support because he was in a plane crash and um, was severely injured. And then he went into a hospital years later to offer support to another burn survivor and just really recognize the need for our community um, and that peer support. So Phoenix Soar is all about, you know, getting connected survivor to survivor, loved one to loved one, um, especially early on, because that's one thing we really know is early on, when you get connected early on, outcomes in the long run are much, much better. Mm -hmm. um, so Phoenix Soar is a really big program and we have um, about 80 hospitals that we're affiliated with across the country. So that's a that's a huge one. Amber, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about World Burn Congress um, since that is coming up this fall. Absolutely. So <clears throat> World Burn Congress is is one of our, you know, arguably most popular programs um, and it's been around for a very long time. Um, but World Burn Congress specifically is is bringing together, um, and since its inception, it's changed names. I don't even, can't even count how many times, but um, <laughs> it, it it has landed with the Phoenix Society and it was uh, annual. And now we're switching to the other, every other year format. Um, but Burn Congress, a World Burn Congress specifically brings together all of the professionals, all of the burn survivors all over the country and even really all over the world. Um, there are folks from other countries that join us as well um, and really provides that, you know, three day learning format. Right. So to be able to get, gather, educate everyone, um, in some cases, advocate. Right. So if, if someone's not familiar with burn survivors, um, so the, the World Burn Congress is a great opportunity to bring um, the community together in one large place. Um, there's obviously other ways to do that um, outside of just World Burn Congress. 
um, but it's that in-person gathering that unfortunately since COVID has, has um, hit, we haven't really been able to connect everyone in person since then. So um, yeah. we had, we had that in-person world or we had those virtual world burn Congress, but uh, there's been no avenue, right. To gather the in-person format. So um, we're really excited about that. Um, Rachel, I'll also talk a little bit about my favorite I, I call it my favorite programs because, um, as Rachel mentioned, um, I am definitely one of Phoenix Society's um, advocates for virtual support, um, whether it be through you know text-based support or um, in a video format, just like this one, or that we're mm-hmm. on today in the right. Zoom. Um, and so the way that you know virtual support works is a bunch of bird survivors join a call together um, led by a mental health professional and a member of the Phoenix Society. And they talk about kind of what's going on. Some weeks we talk about, you know, itching. Other weeks it'll be PTSD. And other weeks it's just, hey, I'm having a rough week. It has nothing to do with my burn, but I just need the support of other people that understand. Um, So I joined that probably about two weeks after my injury. And I've gone every single, um, every other Monday night since um, I joined. And so... And even though it can be really difficult to, you know, put yourself out there, we have survivors that join and just sit and listen sometimes before they're ready even to speak. Um, and what I really love is we also have a Facebook group um, dedicated to Phoenix Society's burn survivors. And so that's a really safe space where trained uh, SOAR professionals, so anyone that has been trained on how to, you know, connect with another survivor in a safe format are all in this community on Facebook together. And every Wednesday night, they chat together. So it's, again, another opportunity for survivors to connect. They're not always ready for video. Um, It's whether it's, you know, whether your burns are visible um, or not, like mine. Um, It's sometimes nice to just be able to text out what you're saying rather than um, to be able to to sit and kind of speak your truth out um, vocally. So those are my two favorite programs and continue to support um, hundreds of survivors every year. So, and I've met some of my best friends, um, in the whole world, um, on those support groups. Um, so if, if you haven't checked those out, I definitely recommend checking them out. I'm, I'm on the Phoenix society, uh, the Facebook page. Cause after M had her injury, I was like, maybe I should see if there's some support out there for family members and stuff like that. Cause it was, it was traumatizing for me and I wasn't, you know, the one that the injury happened to. So I can only slightly imagine what it's like when, when you are the, the, the survivor. Yeah, and, and the group's great. So if you haven't parents of survivors can join the group, we have lots of parents on there asking questions all the time. Like how do I support right my loved one? Um, so the Facebook group, if you haven't um, gone on it, it's, I believe it's Phoenix society peer support community, right, Rachel? Yeah, I think um, like online. It's linked. Um, yeah. On yeah. There. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah join and, and can converse with other survivors. It's a great opportunity to connect with parents, but also um, anybody who's in our community is on that group. Right. Right. Well, could could you guys sort of maybe touch base a little bit on sort of like the unique challenges that you face as a burn survivor? Because most people don't realize that once you your skin grafted area, like no longer sweats and the stuff like that and the tugging and the pulling and the itching. But is there, mm-hmm. you know, do you guys know better than I do? If you could maybe uh, just sort of touch base on that just a little bit or a lot bit, whatever, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rachel, I mean, do you want to start? Cause I think yeah. Rachel has a unique experience when she was a child. So if you're a yeah. child burn survivor growing up, there's a difference between someone like Rachel and someone like me. So Rachel, right. I'll let you, I'll let you start there. Yeah. Um, so obviously there's the physical component of recovery that is a little bit more obvious, especially when you're early on in the recovery. But then when a lot of times what we see is too, when you get discharged from the hospital and you go home, then you realize the emotional and mental side of recovery too. So um, I'll start with just the physical. I mean, like Amber said, and I shared earlier, I, I was burned when I was three. So burns don't grow like normal skin. So growing up every single summer, I was going to my hospital for skin gaf- skin graft surgeries, basically because I w- I'm primarily burned on my arms and my back. And obviously when I was growing up throughout the years, your arms get much longer from when you're right. three to when you're an adult. Um, so, you know, 
that's a multitude of things. You know, the surgery is painful. The skin graft site is probably more painful than the actual burn area itself. You know, you just the effects of surgery. I always would get sick after you're dealing with itch and, you know, you have to be extremely careful when you're out in the sun, especially with, you know, a new burn injury, let alone after surgery. And even still today, I'm not actively getting surgeries, but I'm still very, very big on skin protection as anyone should be, let alone a burn survivor. Right. Um, and you're so more susceptible to skin cancer. I'll add to that. Yes. Because um, I didn't know this until um, I was burned. So they tell you, you know, when you're in the sun, you're more likely to get skin cancer. So um, dermatology is an important thing to to kind of <laughs> yeah. be a part of. And until I was burned, you know, I recently just actually went to the dermatologist myself. And when you go to the dermatologist, you don't realize how important, like just getting those skin checks for all those little things that you have. So even mm-hmm. if it's not, you know, even though you're maybe it's not on your burn, like going to the skin doctor, you know, your skin is your largest organ. So right. going mm-hmm. every single year is so important because uh, you just don't know. And it's, I think my husband and I read a stat where I think it was like 98% like uh, survival rate for skin cancer, if you can catch it early, which, um, so it is one of those cancers that you mm-hmm. can catch that you can, you know, catch early and, and prevent. So if you're, if you're able to prevent it, why not go and just get your skin checked every mm-hmm. year? So it's important. Yes, definitely. Um, so that sort of also leads into, uh, this question, how, how is it when you're pregnant, if you've had skin grafts on your stomach, because mm-hmm. that, that has to be not easy to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is something, you know, we have gotten questions about and survivors obviously have to go through, you know, whether you're burned on your stomach area or you have skin grafts or there's other areas too. I mean, think about, you know, women always talk about when their ankles swell or their feet swell right. when they're pregnant. And, you know, you don't necessarily think about those things, especially if you're burned, you know, for me, when I was three, I'm not obviously thinking about that. But, you know, those are challenges that, you know, women especially can go through when they're a survivor. I mean, obviously, we can't give advice to that. You right, it is right. possible, but, you know, talking with your healthcare team and kind of finding out what that best solution is, um, because it I mean, it kind of depends too on the severity of and the thickness of the burns or skin grafts um, on the stomach mm. area. Yeah, that that makes perfect sense. Um, just I just know that oh man, that has to be just really sort of a tough decision making process to go through and everything like mm-hmm. that. And, um, we did have a podcast with um, Octavia Bernie, who um, was was pregnant or did get pregnant after she was burned. And, um, she talked a little bit about like what that, what that was like. Um, and she was told, you know, it could be difficult to have children given, given the situation. Um, but I think it's important to know, right. Like Rachel said, talk to your doctor about those things, like have those conversations. Um, because they're definitely, they're definitely important conversations to have about how does my skin react. I mean, even just, you know, it doesn't even have to be changes such as growing up or getting pregnant, but, um, your skin does change over time. So we hear survivors all the time that say, you know, as I get older, my skin is changing or whether it's, or I've lost weight or gained weight or however it is, our skin does adapt to those changes, but also adapts to, you know, the weather and the things. So, Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really important to just continue. I know for my burn center, and this is not the same for every, but going to a doctor who I can talk to about. um, So my burn center does do annual checks um, regardless. And I go back to the clinic, um, but I know there's survivors out there that don't have those. I did also just find a local dermatologist, like I mentioned, who will also continue to see, and they do offer some treatments and options. So I think whether you're seeing at a burn center um, and you can find one that is willing to, you know, have those conversations with you. I think that's important um, because our skin does change and that is the reality of it or, or yeah. with time. I think also with time. So I had laser surgery uh, about a year, about a year after uh, or started. It probably started about a year after my injury. And um, because I was having areas that kept cracking open and some survivors right. might just think, oh, this is what I need to deal with. But my 
my specialist had recommended going to another burn center to get it treated. And so they did the laser treatments and the, the, the steroid injections for that area, which actually did help flatten it out. And I know we have survivors that are, you know, 30, 40 years out that have always had, you know, their neck maybe constricted a certain way or something that have had surgery to help relieve some of that um, as they've gotten older or whatnot. So it's still possible to be treated even years after. Mm-hmm. I know for mm-hmm. me, um, I ended my laser surgeries um, after my seventh because I, you know, Rachel mentioned getting sick. Um, I got contracted COVID out of my last laser surgery. Um, and then from there, my body was under such immense stress from, you know, being really ill and mm-hmm. all the laser surgeries that I actually ended up septic in the hospital for seven days, a oh. year, almost a year to the day or I'm headed in two years today. So dealing with that was a lot, right. Of, of trying to, um, overcome that, that secondary kind of trauma of being in the hospital. Um, and I know Rachel started to talk about this, but it's not just about the physical aspects of the recovery, but the, the, you know, the emotional, um, being in the hospital two years after my accident in like a very similar kind of format for (laughs) something that was on my skin and then being septic and really being stuck in a hospital bed, um, where you felt like kind of helpless, um, is, is emotionally traumatic. And so there's a long road to recovery that like you mentioned the kitchen, right? So, um, there are things that continue to, Mm -hmm. to bring up, um, or, you know, staring people staring at your graphs or whatnot, that doesn't go away. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and a lot of people don't realize that it's a physical recovery. Yeah, sure. But there's a lot of other aspects that we deal with both from the trauma perspective, but also just the perspective of dealing with other people out there in the world. <laughs> so it's not an easy road to recovery for, for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my wife, kids, we, we live in Oklahoma, but my old or my oldest son, my only son is he was in the Air Force and he was stationed in Colorado Springs and M would go up and visit him. And she just absolutely loved Colorado and the mountains. And so uh, my son, Duncan, was like, well, I have a spare bedroom. Why don't you just move here with me? And so um, they're really, really close. And so she moved to Colorado Springs. So, of course, that's where uh, her thing happened. And um, Duncan has a job. He works overnight. Um, that's all I know. Cause it sounds stupid, but he's not allowed to tell us what he does, but he works overnight. Well, you know, when you work overnight, you can't run and get something to eat when it's your lunch break. So he started getting milk kits and on his day off, he would cook the week's worth of milk kits and freeze them. And that's what he would take. So what he ended up doing was when he did that, he would give half of them to Emily so that she could have real food to eat and not just, you know, hot pockets or, or, you know, mm-hmm. Tostitos. So she's actually getting real food. Just it's cooked in the microwave, which has been good to know that she's at least getting some real food, but it's still, you know, dealing with that, you know, that trauma of having to, to go through that. So I, I completely understand. And when you talked about like people staring at your, you know, your, your burns and your scars, um, my wife's cousin is actually a principal and I was telling her that you guys were going to be on and she wanted me to ask you this question. How should a kid, you know, small kid, elementary age, approach somebody? Because kids are naturally curious. How, mm-hmm. how should they approach somebody? Because she was like, that would be good to maybe have a thing where we can talk to kids about this. Yeah, well, kids. So I guess I'll just start by saying, you know, I and Amber can relate to this majority of survivors can relate to this, that you do get stares from adults, from children. And the majority of us don't necessarily care about the children stares as much because, like you said, we all have a natural curiosity, even adults, and that's okay. And, you know, I know for a lot of times if someone is seeing me as a burn survivor, I'm probably the first burn survivor they've maybe have ever seen. So I'm not, I'm not opposed to people looking, but obviously there's a difference from staring and looking and um, how to approach it. So, you know, for kids specifically, you know, I love when children ask or come up to me and ask questions, you know, I probably won't give them the full, oh, I was in a house fire type answer. I may make a joke of it or, you know, be a little more lighthearted with the kids, but the 
real reason I love when kids ask is because I think it's really important to educate, you know, our youth and children about looking different. Okay. I mean, being different. Okay. It's, you know, we talk a lot too about survivors just in the media and the lack of positive portrayal that survivors have in Hollywood. Um, you know, whenever you see a burn survivor on the TV, they tend to be the victim or the villain, not ever someone nice and happy. They're always the evil one in the movies. So um, I know kind of going off topic here, but for kids, you know, encourage them to go ask. Um, we also help teach our survivors too to um it's a tool called rehearse your response um Mm -hmm. and so it's you know maybe it's a smile and just asking them um you know asking a survivor like what happened to you or um or how are you doing or you know just something where they can give you a short answer if they want to and also understand if they say you know i'm not comfortable sharing either right i think kid to kid is different right like unfortunately like rachel said kids are going to ask questions and I mean a lot of the time I've had children just come right out and say it or parents try to just oh don't talk about it don't ask um and so that I think that can be even more difficult for especially kids like trying to avoid it um I Mm -hmm. think it starts with the parents too right the education with the parents of like it is okay to be different um and I think that's really hard to to have others accept sometimes but I think that's really important like Rachel said is Um, we always teach, right. To smile and just say hello as a survivor, but as someone else, you know, if they are staring, um, not being afraid to kind of ask like what happened. And if they say it's, they don't want to talk about it, know that that's okay. And not continue to push them for looking different. Um, but I look back on on my childhood too. And there was a, a survivor and I remember, um, nobody ever wanted to ask, right. Like what happened. And I think looking back, had you opened up that conversation? it may have, it may have opened a door to, right, like, to really a deeper understanding of what that person probably goes through. And so not being afraid to say something, but also knowing, like Rachel said, it's okay to um, not, but also just smiling and accepting the person for who they are, I think is also really important, because um, we end up staring and then not wanting to talk to that person for who they are. And so try to get to know that person for who they are underneath, right? The scars and things that you see, um, because there's probably a chance, you know, the, the people that I know are really great people um, that have had just really unfortunate accidents happen to them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a different Facebook group for burn survivors that I'm on. And I had commented about M and when she had gotten out and someone else that was on, there was in the same unit that Emily was in. Uh, just like six months earlier. And just because of that, we've become friends from Facebook. And uh, he was saying that he knew that his kids sort of had adapted and accepted everything when they started calling him Dadpool, because his body is like, I think it's like 80%. And so he has, you know, the skin like that. And he was like, my kids started calling me Dadpool. And I think that's kind of a cool nickname. And I tend to agree with them because that, that is showing acceptance, of, you know, what's going on so that i know that that can be uh be difficult so um i do have another question uh for you amber did you have because you said your hands were burned so did you have to go through uh, a lot of physical therapy to regain dexterity and motion in your hands or were you just sort of my my hands were both burned um but they were second degree so they took the most pain because i could feel them the most but they also um, they came really, really close to needing surgery um, for skin grafts, but um, thankfully they ended up determining they didn't think they'd need them. So the I lost a couple of my fingernails um, and the skin when it grew back was right, that baby fresh skin. So, right. um, and it was really hard because I had been in, you know, my hands were in kind of like those, I called them, I look like a mummy. I had the mummy wraps right on my hands and um, it took a really long time, especially for like the pads of my hands for me to, yes, be able to do the functions. Um, and I've talked about this in our podcast before, but, um, in terms of kind of for survivors, you kind of have two options. You can get home healthcare. Well, I had two options. I could either get home healthcare. I could get physical therapy. And, um, I was blessed that I had my husband, uh, to support me. And while the home healthcare was helpful, um, to help make sure there was no infection because my husband didn't know what to look for. Um, at the end of the day, I trusted my husband to do my dressing changes more than I trusted the home health care aides um, and felt more comfortable with him doing it because he kind of did it on my time and knew um, what I needed. Right. So I had the either option to get the home health care or the physical therapy. I couldn't do both at once. 
Um, and so we realized at that time that it was probably more productive for me to get the physical therapy because I am a super active person. Um, I work on a computer, so obviously my hands are really important to me. Right. Um, and so that we kind of had to make that decision of what's more important and the physical therapy came up. Um, I was blessed with just a local physical therapist, but I had to ask those questions and really had to ask those with, or should have asked those with the home health care because the team that I worked with uh, wasn't familiar with burns. And so finding, again, finding someone that understands burns and knows burns is an is a whole different, you know, wheelhouse of like, how do you gain that physical therapy? And I was blessed that the person that actually was at my physical therapy had, had been um, in the hospital dealing with survivors before. So she kind of knew what to to help me with. And she understood scar massage, which weren't on my hands, but my legs. Uh, But at the time I did tell her like, Hey, I'm struggling. Right. And the hospital also had occupational therapists and right off the bat, that was something they wanted me to continue to do was to be able to move my hands. Um, But they gave me a couple of tools. So I started using, and I used to have it around still, but the, the little tools you use for like, um, they're like guitar um, instruments that you can buy on Amazon. And so you literally make your fingers kind of just click each button. Right. Um, I spent a lot of time with that. And then I spent a lot of time with finger putty. Um, and so when I sit in front of the TV, I would just play with the finger putty. I mean, it did take a long time. Uh, but, you know, the more that I practiced at that, um, eventually my hands got back. Um, one was worse than the other. So I remember my husband and I used to, used to help me wash my hands. So I would put one hand in the sink and he would put his hand in the sink and we would wash our hands together. <laughs> um, and it could, took quite some time for my hands to heal. Um, the skin eventually that was like the dead skin kind of just fell off, which was gross. But, yeah. um, it, the, that new baby skin for a long time, I had to wear gloves and whatnot because like Rachel mentioned, you're more susceptible to sun you know, sunburn when you have that like baby fresh skin. Um, but yeah, it did take a long time, but uh, luckily there were a lot of good, uh, occupational therapists at the hospital that really helped me. But then that long-term care of seeing a physical therapist for probably about six months after, um, was more valuable to me than the home healthcare team because it was definitely something I needed. Yeah. Yeah. Emma was supposed to go to physical therapy but as soon as her hand was unwrapped while she was still in the hospital, she started playing her Nintendo Switch. And then when she got home, she was, started playing her Xbox. And she did it so much that she regained all of the mobility in her hand and didn't need it. And they thought she was going to need it for her because for her legs. But as a teenager, Emily did Scottish Highland dancing. And so what she would do is every time she stood up, or was you know waiting at the microwave or something with her right leg, she would go through and do one of the, the steps for one of the dances. And she did that so much that she also ended up not needing therapy. So let that be a lesson. Games gaming isn't bad. No. And I was like, I did the physical therapy up until, you know, I I'm also very active and yoga um was my thing, right? So being able to stretch was the greatest thing. So at you know, there was a physical therapy took me to a certain point and then yoga took over and it was like, I don't need this anymore when I can do um, something that's just as good. Right. So like whether it's right. dancing or using your to switch to use that as therapy, um, I think that's really important to just be active. I always tell survivors who are saying that, you know, hey, things aren't working. I, you know, I, I always say my nerve damage is quickly like kind of resolved because I was so active. Um, I think like the more I walked, the more I did things, I didn't have those like pings that I was getting all the time because my body was just so used to moving at that point. And I think that's, that rings true (laughs) for other survivors that are like, Hey, I, you know, I'm struggling to to kind of get out there. I kind of had to push myself and even though I didn't want to, but once I did, I was so glad that I did because I started feeling better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did have somebody in, they wanted me to ask this question, so I'm going to ask this, and I don't know if you have ever been asked this, but what would you like people to know that no one has ever asked you about your experiences as a survivor? See? <laughs> I was like, I have to ask them that. That's a that's a good one. <laughs> that is a, a good question. Um, I mean, I think people probably know this because I do obviously talk about my being a burn survivor quite often, but I think just that we're, we're not any different, even though maybe we look different or we have right. some scars, but 
we're not any different. I know for me, just growing up as a child, that was a big thing. Uh, you know, my parents really instilled in me was that, you know, just because I do have burn scars doesn't make me any different than my peers. Right. Um, so obviously, I don't think that's like breaking news uh, for the podcast, but I just I think that's the biggest thing is that we're not any different. Your burns don't have to limit you and they don't, you know, it's all about your, your mindset, um, and believing in yourself and finding that support system. And you can get back to living and surviving and thriving after a burn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd say for me, it was, you never think it's going to happen to you. And then it does. And, um, my husband and I, to this day, just talk about how unbelievably shocked we were, at what happened and like, and how, what we went through to an extent of like, nobody would have ever imagined what that, like what my skin looked like, what that experience felt like, um, what my husband had to do. I always think this day, if anyone saw, um, what my husband had to do, I always say he had the harder job and he says that it was more painful for me, but there were some really late nights with, you know, screaming (laughs) in our, what we called the wound room, um, ripping off bandages and, my husband went through a lot during that time because he played the role of, you know, the nurse to take care of my wounds and make sure that everything looked okay. And really just like, I, to this day, don't know how we continue to look at it every day, but then also, you know, made sure that I was fed because there were things that I couldn't do. And I think like the role of the caregiver is such an important one, but also like, I could not imagine just, I just can't imagine doing it again. And I can't imagine, like, we never, we never thought that being a burn survivor was as hard as it was until we were sent home from the hospital and kind of thrust into doing it on our own. And um, I still this day think that my husband and I are so close because we had that experience together and know that we shared that. But um, I always, when it comes to like fire safety and just kitchen safety, um, I shared a lot of my story on Instagram at the time and just got, you know, an enormous amount of messages just about the journey that we went on. And folks just would say like, I can't believe this is what it's like to be a survivor. And I would have never thought that either. Right. I've never really yeah. understanding you see people on TV, you see them in the, in the movies, you kind of see, um, you know, articles about so-and-so who's burned, but until you've actually lived it, the severity is just so um, intense. That I wouldn't wish it on anyone. So I think it's really important when you're in the kitchen cooking to practice that safety. We try not to have dogs or kids underneath us, right? When we're cooking and try to make sure that we're we're doing everything safe. And so my husband and I have kind of like fireproofed our house the best that we could because I don't ever want that for us. Mm-hmm. But I also think when it comes to advocacy, sometimes it doesn't hit until it hits home. And so I think that would be my my like aha moment was you just don't know until you've been there mm-hmm. um, dealing with right. something like that. Over the last year, I have said multiple times, there are so many things that I was happier when I did not know them about, uh, you know, being a burn survivor. So many. Yeah. And just to add to that, too, I mean, we take part of, you know, Awareness Week, Burn Awareness Week, Fire Prevention Week. And the reason for that is because of that advocacy component. I mean, most people don't realize, but in new construction homes these days, you have less than two minutes to get out if a fire starts. And so many, you know, I get it because sometimes we all fall into I'm invincible. It's not going to happen to me. Um, you know, even as a burn survivor, I still know that there's better fire safety practices I need to be following. Am I checking my smoke detectors as regularly as I should? And so if anyone's listening, that's like the biggest takeaway that I'd want them to know is just it can happen and you don't want to feel the regret because you didn't prepare yourself or your family properly. Yeah, that that's one of the things I've told many people. I'm like, if you live in a two-story house, every bedroom upstairs needs to have an emergency ladder. You don't need one for upstairs. Every room with a window needs to have one of those. You need to have fire extinguishers in your kitchen. Mm-hmm. If you grill all the time, you need to have a fire extinguisher outdoors to, mm-hmm. you know, for and that. accessible you. to you. Yeah. To just be able to. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. when M got home, we bought her, you know, their house is split level Colorado. We bought her an emergency ladder. And that was just made her feel so much better just mm-hmm. knowing that she had that 
out, <laughs> you know, yeah. for that. And, hopefully- and you just don't know. I mean, you go, yeah. you go into like the public places now. We just talked to Gina um, Russo, who was uh, in the, the station nightclub fire. Um, yes. And- yes. That was, that was a very interesting episode. But yeah, I, I mean, I think and I talked about this a little bit in that episode, but you know, you go into a public place now and that's the first thing I do is like, where's the exit door, but also are there sprinklers in here? If something were to ever happen, um, and that, I mean, that is just the reality of the situation until we've talked to people like Gina, or even we talked to NFPA about this a little bit. Um, I had no idea that, right. Like buildings don't always have to have, uh, sprinklers in them either, or they don't always have them in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that can be really eye opening when you walk into a building that doesn't have sprinklers and you know where the nearest exits and if there are a lot of them so that's another thing is just being conscious about public places just as much Mm -hmm. as you are your own home yeah and i i've told many friends since this i'm like you know what you need to get up at like one in the morning and set off your fire alarm so your kids Mm -hmm. know what to do because it needs to be you know you don't need to do it every week or something but they do need to know this if this can happen you have to have your plan in place and people, you know that you should do these things, but something changes once, you know, as you guys have mentioned, once it happens mm-hmm. to you or mm-hmm. someone, you know, and, and, um, and elderly too, right. That's another one. Cause I, we've heard this NFPA talked about this as well, but how do you plan on getting grandma, helping grandma get out if there's an, an emergency or um, is there something blocking an exit or something of that nature? So um, it's, it's really important to set that fire safety plan. And NFPA did a great job of that last year with their uh, fire prevention of having like a meeting place outside the home. So maybe it's the tree um, in the corner of the yard that if no one's there, like we know who who's not accounted for. Um, so I definitely recommend mm-hmm. checking out the resources to make, like you said, practice it. <laughs> um, not just make it, but make sure your kids know exactly where they're going. And, you know, it, I would rather my kids be woken up in the middle of the night freaking out over a fake situation than waking up and freaking out not having any clue or idea of mm-hmm. what to do <laughs> so yep well and that's why practice is so important because you know it's one thing to say yeah this is how i'm going to get out i know my escape routes but it's another to actually be in that situation because even sitting here right now i'm like oh i know how to get out of my house out of if a fire or the smoke alarms go off but it's another thing to be dead asleep and woken up and not knowing what's going on and having to spring into action. So yeah, escape In planning. two minutes too. Yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, I don't think people realize how modern uh, like textiles and everything are way, way more flammable mm-hmm. than 40 years ago. Yes. And unfortunately, you know, we have legis- legislation that you know, we are advocating for, you know, fire sprinklers to be a must in new homes. Um, you know, I don't know all the ins and out of all the building codes, but there are, you know, builders and construction companies that are advocating for the complete opposite because they want to save a dime or two. Right. But you, it's, yeah, it may save you 80 cents building this house, but in the long run, that's not worth it if it's your life and your family. So, Obviously, we are huge advocates and you don't have to be a burn survivor or a loved one to become a fire safety advocate, um, especially with legislation. Yeah. Houses are easier to rebuild than people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can get a a new couch much easier than I can get a new M. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah, um, that I know watching her go through that. It was just so it was just so hard because even though uh, we're incredibly close, her and I, um, we used to tease my wife that we should have a reality show called Two Cool People and a Grump because my wife would try to say something and Em and I would go down these ADHD tangents that only her and I found funny as my wife just got irritated that we wouldn't let her get a word in edgewise. <laughs> so it was, really, it was really, really hard because you want to help help her but there were times where she was in such like sensory overload and pain that all we could do is sit there quietly because even like texting someone on our phone was more than she could handle and um it's hard to explain because people are like well yeah that's painful 
there's no words that really can describe what someone is going through. And um, I don't want anyone to have to, <laughs> you know, to go through that. And so like, it was really hard. Like, for example, it was really hard for me when I saw what happened to Jay Leno last year. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh man, that's just so, and then Anne Hayes over the summer, mm-hmm. you know, that, that it was really hard was... for the survivor community, I think, because it just brings back, right. The remembrance of, how quickly it can happen to somebody you know, right? Yeah, yeah, it, and that's that's all it takes is just you know one one second and you're fine, and then it's a life changing you know ordeal mm-hmm. that people are on. So, mm-hmm. and I think um, with the Anne Hench, you know, incident brought up a lot too about, and this was something until I was a part of this community, I really didn't understand, but the the effects that it can also have on your brain when you have that smoke inhalation as well. So there's not a lot of right education about there about how sometimes survivors also get traumatic brain injuries Mm -hmm. um, as a result of, you know, also being burned. And so you're overcoming a burn, but then you're also now overcoming a traumatic brain injury as well. So uh, that was brought up a lot with the Anne Hench situation, but um, I think there's not enough awareness about that, right? What it's like to not only recover from a burn injury, but now you're also trying to, to recover from a brain injury as well. Yeah. It's, a double dose that you don't necessarily want. Um, I will say though, with them, we knew that she was getting better because she has a dark sense of humor and is incredibly sarcastic. So when she got home from the the hospital, I was there in Colorado and she said, you know, dad, after what I've gone through these last two weeks in the hospital, I think I finally understand what a man feels when he has a cold. And I was like, yep, she's back. She's not wrong. I'm I'm gonna go ahead and say that for all the men in the world. She's not wrong. <laughs> My husband always says he couldn't do it. And I'm like, well, let's not fan that out, right? <laughs> so, but yes, I think some survivors do deal with it with right that dark sense of humor and <clears throat> I'll always make jokes at my husband about it and he doesn't find it funny, right? He just doesn't appreciate that. But some survivors do get through it with that you know, dark sense of humor, but, um, it's hard because I know like I'll make jokes about it. And my husband's not always like, that's not funny, but, uh, yeah, I sometimes humor is the best way to get through it too. Yeah. She, she also said in the future, if she ever has a friend that's going through a, like a bad breakup, her response is always going to be, I understand. I know what it's like to be burned. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I'm like, that's my girl. <laughs> yeah, it's good that she's got the humor for it. Yeah, yeah. She's she's a great kid. We always joke that she didn't dance to the beat of a different drummer because she was in a different instrument section entirely. <laughs> <laughs> but that's one of the things that I love about her. So, <laughs> um, well, um, I'm going to, if there's anything else that, because we are right at the uh, the one hour time frame uh, but i wanted to give each of you a chance to um just either you know say something that you want people to know some more things that uh, the phoenix society does uh, just sort of anything that you guys both you know closing thoughts anything like that um so whichever one of you guys wants to go first go for it i can i can go first again um yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely more things that Phoenix Society does that, you know, we didn't, you know, dive too much into, you know, we have a magazine, we have a full resource marketplace and center on our website filled with, you know, so many great articles, blogs, videos, all of those things. Um, we do have, you know, tools for parents, um, especially with children who are younger and going back to school and things like that. But, you know, one thing just even when hearing you talk about your daughter's recovery too is every survivor is different and every recovery is different you know there are common themes and common you know experiences that we all go through but every burn survivor is unique right. um so regardless if you're a loved one and trying to support or you are a survivor going through it you're it's not a one size fits all. You're going to go through highs and lows. It's going to take you your own time at your own pace. Um, so just never hesitate to reach out. I am a huge advocate of peer support and getting connected, but knowing that 
Someone may want to read a blog on our website um, a few times and then maybe join our Facebook group and then maybe hop on a peer support chat just to take it all in. Um, Baby steps are okay and always welcomed with our community. So yeah, I guess that's kind of my biggest takeaway is, you know, everyone's different, but we're here to support however, however they need. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Uh, Well, I'd say... I think it's really important to acknowledge, like we started our podcast specifically uh, because we had a lot of just knowledge of what it's like to be a survivor. And we felt like the world didn't have enough representation of what um, survivorship, you know, of being burned is actually like. And so just being able to interview other folks in the community that understand it and bring everyone together, but also like Rachel said, not everyone's ready for that either, right? So for us, the podcast for some people is just also that peer support without having to give it back, right? So um, being able to listen to another survivor, tell their story, um, whether you're watching a video or listening to the podcast, um, or really just, you know, reading a story on our webs on the Phoenix Study website, I think it's really important to acknowledge like peer support doesn't have to be one way. And so for us that the podcast was just that, right? An opportunity, if we could just help one other survivor understand that um, they are not alone in the journey that they're on. I think that's really important while also educating. There's so much that happens in the survivor's journey. And because every survivor is so different, everybody has a different experience and goes through something really very differently. So for us, I think it's just, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the podcast, um, and really get to hear the different stories because it's really not about Rachel or I, it's about the folks that we get to interview and, and share their stories because there's some really beautiful ones. Um, and like Rachel mentioned earlier, you know, um, and, and Amy Acton, the CEO of Phoenix Society has said it before, but the people I know, um, that are survivors aren't the folks that are shared on TV or in the media. And so, for some positive representation of survivorship, I think it's really important. And so that's really what it's about. So if you haven't had a chance to go over and listen uh, to our podcast, we'd really love it and love to hear your thoughts of like, uh, and really just ask you even, uh, John, if, if there's a, a guest you're you're thinking about or, or someone you'd really love to, to know more about, we're always open to feedback as well. From recording time, uh, not from when this airs, but I think it was Two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, when you had, uh, uh, I'm horrible with names, the fellow from Canada, and then his wife was, I believe, from uh, Greece. Was it Greece? Nasia and Dan. Yeah, Yeah. and um, they met after, for both of them, after um, their Mm -hmm. accidents, and um, they're married now. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I thought that was just a really, really interesting story. And then um, the one that you had on last week um that one was it was really good but there were some parts in there that uh i thought were sort of heartbreaking where like uh Mm -hmm. facial recognition doesn't recognize Mm -hmm. and that was really that was really kind of heartbreaking for me you know to Mm -hmm. to have to hear that but everyone that you guys have had on has had such an inspirational story you know Mm -hmm. of, of just everything what they've had to overcome how they're continuing to live life and um, that's sort of my takeaway. You may be, you may have some new phobias and some new quirks that you didn't have beforehand, but you know, you're still the person that you were before and you can mm. move on and have, you know, an equally great life and do everything that you had ever wanted to do. Mm. You just maybe do it slower and, <laughs> you know, mm. you don't go out in the sun and they do sell <laughs> UV gloves that you can get that go all the way up to your, uh, your shoulder if you need be. You sure can. <laughs> yeah. And John, as as M's dad, I think it's so important that um you're continuing to raise awareness for her as well. Right. Um mm-hmm. I think I want to thank you for even just having us on because I think just acknowledging, right, that you can be there to support her in whatever way that is possible um, from a caregiver's expe- perspective is so, so important uh, because we don't always know what they need, but you're wanting to learn and you're going out there to these communities. And so I commend you for that because um, it's it's hard <laughs> to be a caregiver um, yes. <laughs> or, and then even not a, a caregiver, but a, a, a parent or a supporter of someone who has been burned and you're doing it in such a graceful way that... Um, Others should admire that. <laughs> oh, well, well, thank you. I I don't want anyone to, you know, go through a what and went through, 
I really don't want anyone to go through what I went through watching her go through that or my wife. And my wife and I discovered that it was difficult because both of us were experiencing something incredibly traumatic, but we didn't necessarily want to tell the other person what we were going through Mm -hmm. because we didn't want to on top of each other's trauma add our trauma on top of Mm -hmm. it. So it was like day three of her in the hospital. And I was like, I'm going to have to see a therapist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I got to have someone that I can talk that. to. Yeah. 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 So therapy is key. I have, I was lucky that the first therapist I went to him and I hit it off. We have a lot of the sort of this, we're close to the same age, like a lot of the same stuff. And so him and I just really hit it off. But if, you know, if you're listening and you need therapy and it doesn't click the first time, don't stop. Keep going mm-hmm. until you find somebody so uh, important. that it, yeah. that works for you. And the other thing I do have to warn you, therapists are way overbooked since COVID started. Mm. I think it, even before COVID, there, there's, still, <laughs> right. there, there's not enough therapists in the world. And that is, that's mm-hmm. the hard thing is like finding one that works for you. Uh, but acknowledging that you needed one and recognizing the caregiver needs one just as much. Yep. And uh, that's huge. So yeah, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Cause I think that's being vulnerable and being able to share that with, with other caregivers out there is, is so important because not every, like you said, you, you and look, wife looks at each other like, Oh, you know, you're fine. Right. Like, and, but <laughs> deep down, you know, that's something you went through mm-hmm. as well. It may not have felt as traumatic, but it emotionally was just as yep. traumatic for you. Yeah. Yeah. And one other thing too, I would like to throw out there is we were very lucky that our family gave us great support. So I was there. My wife can't, had to come back to work because um, her boss, I'm, I'm going to use a technical term, was a dick. Sorry. <laughs> and she had to go back to work. So I stayed longer. And then the day I was flying back to Oklahoma, my sister and her sister drove up to Colorado mm. And they stayed with her for a week. And the day they were leaving, my mother-in-law went and stayed with her for two weeks. The day, the next day um, that she was leaving, my wife flew back out there and stayed for a week. Mm-hmm. And then she came back and then I flew back out there and stayed for a week. So the first couple of months, she always had somebody um, mm. at at her you know, place to help her with stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's something else that's important. Don't be afraid to ask extended family you know for help because if you're out of state you may not be able to stay for a month and Mm -hmm. but perhaps you know your mother-in-law can or Mm -hmm. your sister-in-law or sibling or something like that so yeah and don't be afraid to accept the help either you know we hear that too from you know especially loved ones and caregivers and parents they feel like they have to do it all but you don't you do not have to do it all and you shouldn't do it all because you have for yourself so accept the help that others are willing to give because, you know, when we do go through traumatic things like a burn or really anything, the community rallies, your friends mm, and family right. rally. They want to help you, you know, that's why we call each other our loved ones because we love each other and we want to care for each other. So being willing to accept the help. And like you said, don't be afraid to ask for it either. Yeah. And if your person is in the hospital and they want to FaceTime their dog because they miss their dog. Let them FaceTime with their dog. (laughs) The dog has no idea what's going on, but it helps them when they're in the hospital. (laughs) It sure does. (laughs) But yeah, we're we're trying to get my daughter's dog uh, to be an ESA dog for her because her. We joke that we're not sure whose is whose emotional support animal, Um, but uh, her dog knows if something is wrong with Emily. Hasn't been trained, and if Emily's starting to have a panic attack she'll go and sit like next to Mm -hmm. her and on her you know make her sit down Mm -hmm. so she's just in tune with her so Mm -hmm. yeah um, animals are definitely are they know but they're also super you know supportive of us as well yep yep so well i i it's hard to believe that this hour we're actually a little over now but has gone by this quick i am i am just so happy and um, honored that you guys came on my little tiny podcast to talk about this, but it's something that I've become passionate about fire safety, fire prevention, you know, people that are going through recovery from, 
you know, burns and all of that stuff. And I just want to do my part. And if I can help somebody, you know, like you said earlier, just one person, if I can help one person be better or get, you know, the help that they need, then to me, it's definitely worth it. And so I, mm. I really appreciate Rachel and Amber, you guys coming on and taking time out of uh, an evening, you know, away from your family uh, to, to, to talk with me about this and uh, my listening friends. Well, we appreciate you listen. having us. It's been an honor. Yeah, thank so, you so much. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. And with that, friends, I am going to sign off the way that I always sign off. And remember, this is something that I fell at. Remember, try to live your life in a way that would make Bob Ross proud. Thank you for listening to Musings of an ADD Mind. If you enjoyed this podcast, or even if you didn't, please hit the subscribe or follow button. 